Thanks for listening to another leadership podcast from Pastor Jurgen and the team here at C3 San Diego. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Part of my message as we're coming into this, this, uh, this event, uh, the title came so quickly after Pastor Jeff sent me uh, a photograph to promote on Instagram. And you may notice if you look on my Instagram, I didn't, I didn't uh, post it. Because when I, when I looked at it, the, the first, the first, my first response, my, my first thought was, I'm not qualified. That, that, you know, most of the decisions I make, I just make, I, uh, I'm trusting God, I'm believing God. And, and I look and I see all my weaknesses, I see my, all, all my inadequacies and all my shortcomings and then to speak to men, it's, I can speak anywhere but men. Men, so I began to press into God. I said, why is that? So the title of my message tonight is Unqualified versus Disqualified. Unqualified versus Disqualified. It'll come with me in your Bibles. It'll come up on the screen if you're not there. I hope so. I think you got it. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. We're reading from the New King James. Someone Jesus used says this, it says, do you not know that there are those who run in a race? Sorry, that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, I just love that right there. I just love that right there. Because if you've been to another church, you will find... Most churches, in fact, when I got saved, I was told that it does, it's not all about winning. It's how you play. It's, it's whether you had a good time. And so, so we created passive men. That somehow winning was competitive and competitive was egocentral and ambitious and wrong. The other night, I took my wife on a date night to, to see The Lion King. They've got you know, a new one out. And, and uh, what was amazing is, you know, I know the story because I've preached on it so many times, but little Simba and Nala are in the elephant graveyard and they're surrounded by the hyenas and the hyena is piping off about what they're going to do to Simba and, and uh, uh, little Nala. And then all of a sudden this roar just shakes the cinema and the hyenas, you know, poop their pants and they turn around and standing there on a rock is Mufasa, the alpha. And, and, so these hyenas go to it and he's just throwing them to the left, throwing them to the right. And he rescues and he, you know, throws down the, uh, the ringleader hyena. And it was a display of toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity saved the day. So we are determined, we are determined that we ain't going to preach the world's garbage to disempower you because you were created to be a warrior. You were created to win a fight. You were created to win a battle. You were created to be a champion. You were created, the Bible says, to be more than a conqueror. So the Bible, believe it or not, is lies from men that say that we should compete but not win. Paul says here, all run in a race, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you are going to be the winner. Just bump your neighbor and say, I'm sitting next to a winner. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. 
Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I wanna put to you tonight that, that uh, most of my life, because of an absent father, because of a, a broken relationship with my father, I've always questioned and I've always doubted myself. And, and it doesn't take much for me to, to move into the place where I feel completely inadequate and completely unqualified. But the good news that I began to discover from the Scripture is that God actually uses the unqualified. God uses the unqualified. There's a difference between unqualified and disqualified. When I was uh, 16 in high school, Australia is very different to uh, America. We do, we do a swimming carnival, Aussies love, because we're surrounded by water. So it's like a mini Olympics. And then uh, in the summer, we do an athletics carnival. Well, this was the swimming carnival. And uh, there was one guy who kind of kept hitting on my girlfriend every chance that he had. And his name was Scott Cornell. The problem was he was a state champion swimmer. So we turn up to, to, the, to the swim meet and, and Scott's in my race and everyone's lined up on the side and I'm like, oh dear Jesus, I just want to beat him. I want to beat him. And uh, he's got his, you know, speedos and he's kind of, his hair's all green bleached, you know, from the, the chlorine. And I've got my, you know, my, my board shorts, which is extra drag. <laughs> and anyway, we're on the, on the starting block and I just said, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to swim like I've never swum before. So, you know, on your mark, get set. You know, and I'm in the pool and I am swimming. I am flying down the pool. I look to my left, can't see nobody. Look to my right, can't see nobody. So I have a look and I see Scott Cornell behind me. I'm winning. I touch first. I'm like, this is amazing. But I was disqualified because it was the 50 meter breaststroke and I just swam freestyle. But I got out of the pool. I got out of the pool, instantly disqualified. But I was walking around bragging, saying I didn't know, I didn't even, I knew. I just walked around, I didn't even realize. Man, I could whoop your head. I mean, I could whoop your, you know, you want to have another rematch? And, you know, but they couldn't do a rematch. And so, uh, but I was disqualified. See, if you're, if you're unqualified, you're dependent. You're dependent upon God. You've got to trust God. When you realize you're unqualified. So let me give you a few quick thoughts. Uh, God never calls you to go where you're qualified. That's just the first thing you got to understand. M most of us have grown up in homes that weren't perfect. So you're going to find inadequacies on how do I communicate with my bride? How do I treat my bride? Even Solomon, Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived, said, you know, six, for, for six things, I'm perplexed. For seven, I'm completely without understanding. And it goes through the way of a lizard on a rock. And, and then the last one, number seven, is the way of a man with a virgin. In other words, I've got 300 wives, 600 concubines. I, I have empty, meaningless sex, but I don't know how to connect. I don't know how to... And it's beyond him. It's, and so you're going to understand that, that there, are, there are things in your life that as you lean into the Word of God, the Word of God is going to fill in those areas. Don't try and... Uh, fake like you've got it all together. The greatest thing we can do, I believe humility is admitting, man, I feel so unqualified here. Man, I don't feel like I got it together here. The enemy wants to move the chess pieces into getting you disqualified. That's, the enemy wants you to believe the lie that you're not unqualified, you are disqualified. But when I read my Bible, I, I, I look at Noah and he was not qualified to build the ark. He'd never build a ship. 
He never built a table as far as we know or a chair. And now he's got to build the ocean liner that is going to save every animal and his entire family from the, the most uh, horrific judgment of God until Christ splits the sky at the second coming. And his, his assignment, you better believe he felt inadequate. And you better believe that the devil was whispering in his ear saying, who are you to build? An, are you you're building a what? A boat? It hasn't even right. Man, who are you? To, you? You're disqualified. You can't do it. You, you can't. Has anybody even got saved? You've been preaching for a hundred years. Nobody's got and so the devil will rouse on him to get him disqualified. Joseph, Joseph was unqualified. He's taken down to Egypt where his race excludes him from status in the community. He's a Jew, he's an Israelite. They don't give jobs to foreigners. So he's a slave. Not only is he a slave, but he is falsely accused of attempted rape and he is thrown into a prison. Now he's a convicted felon. But he had a dream and the dream went beyond his qualifications. See, faith is can you believe what God has said despite what your circumstances say, despite the abandonment, despite the rejection by your brothers, despite the fact that the parole officer is no parole, despite the fact that, that you are sentenced, that despite the fact that the front page of the paper said rapist wanted for, for, for rape, thrown into the prison. But Joseph comes out and he begins to rule over the entire Egyptian empire because God doesn't need qualified people. But I tell you what, the reason Joseph was able to rise and was able to win and was able to conquer because he did not let the devil move him from unqualified to disqualified. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I want you to know you are not not disqualified, the devil is a liar. Somebody say amen. amen. David, David, when he, when, when he went in before Saul, this Goliath is piping off, 40 days, 40 nights. Give me a man, give me a man. And David says, I'll fight him. So finally a volunteer. They quickly rush him into Saul. And, and Saul's probably thinking, man, here comes this warrior. Who's this way? A Jeff Forbes-sized warrior. And, but instead, little, little teenage Justin Bieber lookalike, David comes in with his harp. And Saul's like, what are you doing? What's that? I write poetry. <laughs> you, write, you write poetry? Yeah, uh, it's a hobby, poetry. Saul assesses David with this assessment. You are not qualified. You are not able to go against this Philistine. Look in the mirror, boy. You are just a youth and he's been a man of war from his youth. He was unqualified, but Saul was trying to tell him he is disqualified. He is disqualified from even entering the race. He's disqualified from even entering the battle. But I like David. He says, your servant. We just had an all-in weekend. I got to tell you, the number one thing the devil don't want you to do is serve. He, oh my gosh, nothing frightens him like a servant. Nothing frightens him like somebody that says, I'm going to lay my life down for Jesus Christ. I'm going to lay my life down for the eternal God, for the King of Kings. I'm going to live a life that echoes and reverberates through the corridors of eternity. David says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took one of the lambs from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I killed it. Don't, don't underestimate the power of your post right now. You may be saying, man, I'm just out there on the park. You don't know, man, I'm just making 
coffees. Man, I'm sweeping up in the bathroom. I run the, the Tuesday morning. Pre- it don't matter where you are. You be faithful there because God is watching and God elevates. And God's going to let some lions and some bears come just so you can whoop some lions and whoop some bears so that you know, hey, I ain't disqualified. I may be unqualified, but let me just tell you something. The same God that delivered me from the power of the lion and the same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear is the same God who will deliver me from this Philistine. Let me add him. And we all know the story. David made history by taking down Goliath. Come on, if you believe that, give God a clap. (laughs) Nehemiah wasn't qualified. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. But he becomes the mayor of of Jerusalem and he becomes the head of construction. As far as we know, he's never managed a construction project like Pastor Drew when I threw him in the deep end at South Campus. I said, Drew, this is a $10 million project. You're the project manager. He's like, but I've never met. Exactly. We threw him in the deep end and look at him today. He's a powerhouse. He's a powerhouse. He's an absolute legend. He's a, his faith went to another level. His courage went to another level. He's no wonder that before, before um, we opened our South Campus, uh, I think 360 or 380 was kind of like our, our biggest record. On the opening, we had almost 1,400 people, maybe more, maybe 1,500 people. What happened? Something shifted in the leader because he, he knew I may not be qualified, but I'm not going to be disqualified. I'm going to step in. If my pastor, if God is with me, I'm going to become dependent. Come on, somebody. So Nehemiah goes out and he rebuilds the walls. Now, this, this is a word, uh, Michael, as I, as I drove out to East Campus yesterday to look at the building, and I'm probably not supposed to tell you, but we bought a building out in East Campus as well yesterday. <laughs> but you didn't hear it here. We didn't, I didn't say anything. So we're not going to close till, oh, it goes, it goes in on September 3rd, but we went in at five. They came back at 5.1. So we said, all right. And, uh, but God began to show me that in, in the book of Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. The gates were burned with fire and there was widespread devastation. And then Nehemiah feels a burden and he goes to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he says, this is very much not just San Diego, but specifically East County. Because a previous generation abandoned God. A previous generation made incredibly poor choices. They rejected God. They rebelled against God. That They got into all kinds of sexual immorality and drugs and all kinds of things. And so they lost their place. They lost their position. And now a new generation had to rise up. And a new generation had to inherit what a previous generation left. And it was a mess. But I love Nehemiah's generation because he refused to let Sanballat, he refused to let Tobiah, he refused to let Gershom the Arab say, you ain't built man if a fox runs on that wall it'll fall down flat you are just he refused to let them tell him he was disqualified he said I ain't coming down because the work is too great we are building legacy we are building something that is going to be for not just our generation but our generation's generation our generation's generation our generation's generation he was unqualified but it didn't stop him Abraham Abraham's name was Abram which means exalted father and God speaks to him and says I want you to change your name to Abraham father of a multitude Abraham is 90 and has no babies has no children 90 years of age and God says to him you're going to have a son God says to him you're to change your name to father of a multitude 
How many people know that he would have felt inadequate? Sarah was barren, the Bible says, and Abraham at 90 had not produced one child. He was inadequate. He was unqualified. But how many people know he didn't let the devil say, you are disqualified. You are disqualified. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. We just at presence heard, heard a message that Isaac and Jacob were heirs of the promise, though they didn't receive it. So it was kind of put that, you know, sometimes you believe and, you know, it doesn't come to pass, but that's not what the text says. The Bible says that the, the promise of God was too big for one generation to contain. So after Abraham believed God and got Isaac, Isaac took the baton and it was his turn to believe God. He had a wife called Rebecca who was barren, but he believed God for breakthrough because he believed his papa's promise. He believed that when God spoke to his father that he may be unqualified because she's, she's barren, but he's not disqualified. So he prayed and twins were conceived in her womb, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob grows up and he marries Rachel and Rachel is barren, but God blesses Jacob. So he brings forth 12 and they become the tribes of Israel. Each one of these generations carried the, the baton of faith for, for a generation not yet born. Can I just encourage you men that right now the battles you're facing, the victories you're having, the wars you're engaged in, you may not see any immediately result for you, but I'm telling you, God will give you little glimpses. He'll give you little Isaacs. He'll give you Jacobs and Esau's. He's, he's a good faithful God, but you are storing up a legacy. You could just be the curse breaking generation, setting a brand new legacy for your children and your children's children and your children's children. Can somebody say amen? Jesus was a carpenter's son, a carpenter's son, and yet he becomes the teacher of Israel. Where did he learn how to heal? Maybe when he put a nail through his thumb, I don't know. But he was, he was not qualified in the natural. They were perplexed at him. How does this man know letters having never studied? They said he was unqualified. The devil comes to tempt him and he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. See, the devil knows to get you disqualified, I've got to get you away from what God has said about you because God just said, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the devil's got to get you onto performance. If you are the son of God, perform, act. Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds So the devil took him up on the pinnacle of the temple. He says, throw yourself down, jump off. Because it's written in the Scriptures, God has commanded His angels concerning you, lest you dash even your foot against a stone. Try and commit suicide. Try and jump off. And Jesus turns around and says, it is written, don't tempt the Lord your God. You know what Jesus was saying? He's saying, devil, you're trying to get me to work against the purposes of God in my life. What a wicked spirit you are. I am working against the purposes of God. I'm receiving the purposes of God and I'm gonna to begin to work for the purpose of God. I'm gonna to begin to work with the purposes of God. That's why he took off his, his outer garment and began to wash the disciples' feet because he knew if I can't wash the filth off your feet in an upper room, there's no way I'm gonna take nails through the wrist, a crown of thorns on my head and take the filth of the sins of mankind upon me on the cross. You better believe Jesus says, I'm congruent with the will of God. I'm not testing the will of God. I'm not living a life that tests or goes against the will of God, I'm living my life congruent with the will of God. Can somebody say amen? All right, I'm landing. I promise I'm landing. Elisha took over from Elijah. There's no record of Elisha ever prophesying before Elijah goes to heaven. No record of it. But Elisha, the Bible says, served Elijah. His reputation was, this is the one who pours water on the hands of Elijah. 
can I just encourage you, man, throw yourself behind a vision, throw yourself behind a cause. Emerge Ranch, we think it's about the event, man, I'm telling you, you're gonna be changed, you're gonna be transformed, just serving, leading up to, on that event, you're gonna say, man, I built that cubicle, man, I built those showers, I built those bathrooms, man, I helped mow out that field, man, I helped put up that tent, man, I helped build and erect that mess hall, I helped put that lake in there, Mr. Bruce Tannum. I put the, the, the fat daddy lake in there, I put a BMX track in. As you begin to serve, God always uses servants. Second one is practice faithfulness. Practice faithfulness. Joshua wasn't the, 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 the speaker. Caleb was the speaker. When they, when they went into the promised land and came back, it was Caleb that quieted the people. It was Caleb that said, what are you talking about? Let us go up. It was Caleb that did all the talking. In fact, the next chapter, Numbers 14, God said, no one's entering the promised land except Caleb. He's got a different spirit. No mention of Joshua. And yet at the end of Moses' life, God said to Moses, you know who your successor is? Caleb? No, Joshua. Because when Moses went up onto the mountain, he took Joshua with him. But God said, Joshua's not allowed to come and stand in my presence. He's got to stand halfway up. He can't be down with the people and he can't be up in the presence. For 40 days, he waits patiently. 40 days. I mean, after four hours, I'd be thinking, he's dead. <laughs> it's over. After four days, it's after, th after a month, after 30 days. For 40 days, he waits there. The Bible says those who wait upon the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that Moses pitched a tent, used to go into the tent. God's presence would come down and speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. Afterward, Moses would have to return back to his pastoral and leader duties. But the Bible says the young man Joshua would linger in the presence of God. Where did he get that? appetite where do you get that stomach where do you get that stamina from waiting 40 days on the side of a hill and God says the kind of guy I'm going to use is a guy that loves my presence because with my presence you'll overcome any enemy when the presence of God is in the camp when the power of God is present there's nothing any devil there's no principality or power there's no demon that can rise against you the power of God acts like a vanguard to push that away be faithful uh, just a few weeks ago, Pastor John and his beautiful wife, Becky and Leanne and I and a few others were up at Napa. And uh, this is not to try and justify the Napa trip, but, uh, but we were sitting in, in this one place and I think it was like about the, maybe the fifth or sixth uh, vineyard we'd gone to in a few days. Not on that day, in a few days. And uh, what we noticed was this guy named the Chardonnay after his wife. His wife's name is Barbara and he named the Chardonnay after her and they've been married 58 years. And then we go to the next place and this guy named one of the uh, Pinots after his wife and they'd been married like 53 years and then another one, 61 years and, and another one. And, and so Becky said to me, Pastor, what, why do you think it is that all these winemakers stay married? What is it? And if I was honest with you, I'm like, I don't know why you're asking me. How would I I'm not a winemaker. <laughs> but then as we began to listen to, to the sommelier who was telling us about the wine, this is what he said. He says, two things produce the most amazing vintage. He says, the first one is frost. When there's a severe winter frost, the grapes that survive have to thicken their skin. Because the skin is so, so thick, it gives the grape an even greater juice and flavor. He says, and the other thing is drought. He began to talk about 2013 was a year where we had both. We had severe winter frost and we had severe drought. He says, in a drought, those, those, those poor vines have got to 
put their roots down so deep that it stresses the vine. But the stress on the vine produces the most amazing flavor in the grape. And I thought, how many people have I canceled over the years? that they're, they're getting a divorce because she don't meet my needs no more because she was frosty or because I went through a drought. You know, when, 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 she, when, we had, when she had the baby, it was six weeks where we couldn't be intimate. I went through it, so I cheated. I went, a winemaker knows, oh my gosh, if we're going through frost, if she's frosty, and if I got to go through a drought, mm-mm-mm, guess what vintage is coming? He knows that frost and drought is gonna produce the greatest wine for his future. He ain't quitting. He ain't divorcing her and letting somebody else drink the vintage. Practice faithfulness. Practice faithfulness. Last point. Last point. God says to Joshua, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Can I just encourage you? That scripture in Joshua 1 verse 8 is the scripture that I put on my wall right beside my bed when I was in Bible college. And it's probably been my go-to scripture my whole life. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. When it, when it was to move to New Zealand, be strong and courageous. When it was to move back and, and uh, serve Pastor Phil with, that, with no promise of a salary, be strong and courageous. When Pastor Phil said seven years later, I need you to go to a city you've never been before, to, to there's no congregation, there's no people, there's no church, you're going to start it. You're stepping out into the unknown. The Holy Spirit said, be strong and courageous. Did I feel qualified? Absolutely not. I felt so unqualified. But I refuse to let the devil, I refuse to let the devil make me feel disqualified. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I want you to know that I want to pray for you. And you're going to get some prayer tonight. And we're going to move that thing. You are not disqualified. You know, I felt so disqualified. One of my sons many years ago got caught up in the wrong crowd and we went to court and I thought we were going to go to court together. They were going to slap his wrist and put him onto a mandatory rehab. That was what they told me. But all of a sudden his fingerprints start showing up on all these break and enters. And instead of him leaving with me, two police officers come round, stand him up and handcuff him. And he gets dragged into juvenile detention. And I got to drive home and I'm the pastor. You better believe the devil was in my ear saying, and you call yourself a pastor? You're a joke. Look at you, you can't even father your own boy. This is just a repeat cycle. Your dad abandoned you at 14 and you've done the same to him. And then you get up on a Sunday and you want to preach to people, you are disqualified. I had to, I had to go and seek God. And God said to me, son, you are not disqualified. You are not disqualified. You may be unqualified, but unqualified positions you where you're dependent upon me. That way people see my power. That way people see my grace. That way people see my mercy. That way people see my loving kindness. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Church San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.